Good morning. What a privilege, what a joy to see you this morning and share with you 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 10. We're going to talk about slavery in those days, and we're going to talk about money. And so let's take a look at uh, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, 1 through 10. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemous. And they who have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. I explain that. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and stripes of words, whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil, and surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing to, that gain is godliness. From such withdraw yourselves. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be thereof, there with content. But they who will be rich fall into temptations and snares, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which draw men in destruction and partition. For the love of money is the rule of all evil. While some covet after, they have erred from the faith and, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. While some have coveted after. Well, let me explain this passage to you. It deals with slaves and money. Paul has a short comment on, to begin with on, on 1 Timothy 6 1. It says, Let as many servants. As heirs says, are under the yoke. Under the yoke, it simply means for some circumstance in their lives, they are now servant of the ones that they own to. So slavery was almost fifty uh, percent of the population those days. How the how does that the gospel found a community of people that were uh, uh, deeply caught up? on slavery. As you see, the Roman Empire ruled in those days. And the Roman Empire operated in, in terms of, in other words, they would take a country somewhere. They would bring the slaves into Ephesus. And they would then have to be servant of the, of the community, which was about 250,000 people. So most of the slaves there were slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And, and Christianity came through the, the hands of Paul. Remember, Paul came in from the north, met 12 men. They did not know the, about the Holy Spirit, and all of them were baptized with the Holy Spirit with tongues. They spoke in tongues on the first 12 men that Paul laid hands in. The Bible study then at Ephesus lasted for two and a half years, which, which moved throughout 
uh, Greece, of course Corinth, and of course Ephesus, and, and the seven churches of Revelation. So, he does not defend the institution of slavery. Paul never did that. First Corinthians seven twenty one. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, be free. Use it rather. Get away from slavery. So Paul counseled. Uh, uh, remember Philemon? Philemon was a servant of the Lord. And, and Paul may, had an, uh, uh, known a man called Onesimus, a slave. And Onesimus served Philemon. It didn't do too well, but he became a Christian. And so Paul calls Philemon with this letter to Philemon and said, Listen, receive him, not as a slave, but above a slave, a brother beloved in Christ. So as you read Paul, you get the idea that he does not support slavery or care about slavery. But he inherited the system through, through the Roman Empire in those days. It was not easy to be a Christian slave. Full respect, good service, proper attitude should be given to the masters. And they had to do it. Mainly because these slaves were people who were made slaves by the Roman Empire and were themselves having to respond to what God is about to do in their lives. When both master and slaves were Christians, respect should be present in the relationship. So I hope that you get an idea now on, 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 on 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 1 and 2. Now, Paul closes the chapter 6 with strong words toward false prophets. And the way he speaks about false prophets seems to be a serious problem. For instance, when they check the library, and you check the library, the size of the library in Ephesus, there were thousands of books. And uh, Ephesus, there you find the ideologies contrary to the teachings of Jesus. Contrary to the teaching of Jesus. And so, one of the things that I want to tell you is that uh, the library in Ephesus was filled with ideologists. Now, is there a reason for Paul uh, say this? Uh, and I, I want to read to you. Uh, uh, and they, uh, here we go. Uh, let me see if I can get myself together here a minute. Uh, in other words, he's stay, saying to them, stay away from, from corrupt teaching. Stay away from, uh, from uh, false teachers. Was there a need to stay away from false teachers? Well, the numbers are just astronomical in those days. You know, today we have some of the institutions in America, uh, uh, false teaching, all kinds of things, angels and such. But listen, Aphrodite, the guardian of the city of Ephesus, Artemis, uh, the guard of the city of, of uh, Corinthian city, Artemis at Ephesus, Athena in Athens, the temple of Apollo, which was there 550 years before Christ. Look at the Agora in Athens, Greece, 
deities such as Poseidon, Hero, June, male deities such as Nike, Tyche, Zeus, Helios, Pengar, Dionysus, many others. And so the numbers of, of deities that were contrary to the gospel were in the hundreds. And, and that shows that the need for the truth of the gospel was necessary. Let me tell you this. I've, uh, I'm originally from Brazil. God brought me to America through a series of factors. A missionary, Kenneth Traxler, sold a record collection, and I got a ticket to New York City one way. I was lost in New York City, and then uh, God provided a bus, and I came to Jacksonville, Florida. I found a church called Springfield United Methodist Church. No. I've been here now for 55 years, going to 60. 1960, and I'm, I'm 70, 78, 79, uh, 78 this coming January. And so, God sent me here. He baptized me with the Holy Spirit. I became a elder appoint, under appointment to evangelism in the North Georgia Conference. And I've been ministering in this area for close to 50 years. Why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord bring a Brazilian from, from, from South America here? Well, the impact has been phenomenal. Hundreds and hundreds and literally thousands of people have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, ministered by the Holy Spirit, saved and delivered. And the mission program began early and continues today into countries all over the world. So let me ask you this. Does God have a plan for your life? Are you following the plan of God for your life? Because Paul is sent to Ephesus and the Holy Spirit of, came upon Paul to a point to where the handkerchiefs and, and, and that he anointed with oil were distributed. Many that touched the handkerchiefs were healed and delivered and set free. And the gospel came in in power in Ephesus. Right in the midst of Aphrodite, Artemis, Atenas, Apollo, uh, Nike, and Pam, God, and Tyke, and Dionysus. And all these deities confronted the power of the gospel. Now, you probably say, Rick, but I don't appreciate your ministry because it's more Pentecostal. Well, I'm Wesleyan ministry. Wesley uh, was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and his heart was strangely warmed, and he became a vessel of honor in the hands of God. And, uh, and uh, you know the ministry of Paul uh, still today lives in the hearts of millions of Methodists. And so the ministry of Paul was in the midst of a lot of difficulties. When England received the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching and teaching of John Wesley, was one of the worst, worst times and dark times in the history of England. So Paul comes strong against these deities of the time because that is the reason why he came. That, that is one of the things that go with the gospel. So he's discipling Timothy, saying, know these guys, know who they are, and speak strongly against them. He's preoccupied with the deities affecting the life of the church in Ephesus. Now, does a pastor have the responsibility to do the same? Yes. You know, for instance, apathy is a deity today. 
People go to church to sleep. And lack of tithing and giving to the Lord that which belongs to God is robbing God. And there's a lot of people sitting on the pews who just stick the gun to God every Sunday morning and don't give the tithe that belongs to Him. And so the church is weak. You know, you, you, you have to bring a missionary, you have to bring a preacher that t- stirs the heart of people uh, with the gospel because it's hard to find somebody around your neighborhood. So these deities rob them of the truth in Christ and corrupt their minds. Their motivation is sheer profit of the church, personal profit. Behind every deity is personal profit. In other words, the marketing of Aphrodite was done daily. When you go to Af- when you go to Corinth, which is run by the Catholic Church, by the way, if you if you're a Methodist or a Christian uh, Protestant and you go to Corinth, make sure you get your assignments correct, pay your money ahead of time, and be there before they close because they close at two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, Catholics are weak. They sort of just don't have the fire, the Holy Spirit in them, so they have to go home to rest. And so we got down there, and we began to look at the uh, look at the uh, uh, the city excavated city of Corinth. And the city the city is on a plateau, and then it bends and stops, and the mountain keeps on growing out of it. It's an interesting setup. And way on the top there are four teeth. You can see the teeth, four little fingers. Well, there are large columns of the of the temple of Aphrodite, <coughs> where prostitutes were there uh, all day long and, and, and uh, enticing the men of, Af- uh, of Corinth and, uh, to come and partake of, uh, of, of, of sexuality uh, in honor of Aphrodite. So, Paul is teaching in Ephesus a strong gospel. Notice the intensity of Paul preaching and ministering to, to, to at the end of this letter to Timothy. He's not playing the game here. He's not being nice and kind. Come strong against these de- deities. He, listen, I went, to, I went to the Parthenon in, 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 uh, uh, in, in Athens, Greece. And we all as a group went in to take pictures and so on and so forth. And one of our people that was with us called, uh, his name is uh, uh, Steve Odeorn. He, he sat down there and he made a, a hand like this, meaning I'm strong, you know, I'm strong. Well, several people that were there from the city came and corrected him. You are uh, uh, disregarding the gods. Nike and Apollos and all these gods are present in the, within these walls. And you have to walk in respect and dignity and honor. How can you respect a, a deity made up by men? But that's, that's how the, the, the people in Athens, Greeks, feels about it. That is why they're so desperate. They're so... And so, in the days of Paul, the same. Amen? So now Paul continues from 6 to 10. So let me read this. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Meaning, Supporting that gain is godliness. In other words, they have the idea that if they make money to the deity, that's godliness. That's godliness. 
It's right. It's good. Okay. Nothing is good when you uh, when you when you depend on a false god. In Brazil, there are four major areas of witchcraft: Candomblé, Ubanda, Macumba, and Spiritism. Candomblé, Macumba, Ubanda, and Spiritism. The three are, are African rituals, but Spiritism is communicating with demons. And of course, they have a great ministry to the children of Brazil. They feed thousands. They are just a loving people. But most of them full of demons because they use demons to heal people. And you've got to see a man that is being healed by a demon. It's a sad case. You know, the man begins to lose weight. And he goes all the way when he is bony. There's nothing but bone. There's no meat. There's no flesh under his skin. And he's barely surviving the day. And so I went into a house where a man was in bed. And so I know the ritual on how spiritism deals with demons. You take your clothes off. They put a sheet underneath. You lay down on the top and you put a sheet on top of the man. And you begin calling the demons for healing. And so the reverse would be to take the man out of bed, get the two sheets put into a trash can, put alcohol on the, on the, on the sheets, and you burn it. And I saw that, uh, that pure, pure cotton sheet turning black right before my eyes. From that day on, I, I believe that demons know the presence of God and they respect the presence of God and they have no choice. You see, Paul is in the midst of all of this type of religion, religiosity. Deities everywhere. People doing the wrong. Look at this. Look at, look, let me read verse, uh, uh, verse, verse, uh, verse 7. For we brought nothing to the world, and certainly we carry nothing out. And having food in Rome, let us be therefore content. In other words, all I need is food and clothing. <laughs> Coming to think of it, uh, that's all you need, you know. Of course, you need a chair to sit down. And all the, in these days, you've got to have a TV to see the dogs play. But it's a very simple way to live. But they who will be rich fall into temptation and snares and into many foolish and heartful lusts. In other words, he's talking about people who love money. Nothing wrong with having money. But when you love money more than you love God, there's a problem. This ministry is supported by hundreds and hundreds of people who have money, and they support so I can feed the poor. That's godly, godliness. Amen. For the love of money is the rule of all evil, while, which while some covet after. Notice, some covet after. Not everybody is like that. Not everybody loves money. I know many saints of the Lord who love the Lord Jesus and provide for His service throughout their lives. Good. So Paul is continuing bombarding Timothy on chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through 21, and he is just uh, coming strong. He says, He came into the world with nothing and will leave it with nothing. All you need is food and covering. I'd like to try that. Money here had to do with intent. It's the intent behind the money. The deities were objects that, that raised money for those who, 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 who thought about it. In other words, you have Aphrodite's little statues. 
and you buy ten of them, and you convince the men that, that Aphrodite is a good thing to have in your house. So you take the statue of Aphrodite and you put it inside of your mantle right there in your fireplace, and you honor it, and it makes money to the guy who sold it. So a lot of people had this intention, okay? They lived and used deities in order to profit. So Paul, Paul brings light into the subject. He brings light. He begins to explain that these little gods, little deities, are contrary to the Word of God. Look at uh, Isaiah 20. You're going to love this verse. Isaiah, 20, uh, verse, Isaiah 8, verse 20. It's really something. It says, uh, he says this uh, about teachers. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And when you see a teacher doing the thing that is wrong, there's no light, there's no fire, there's no demeanor, there's no conviction, there's no presence, there's no anointing. See, the anointing breaks the yoke. You have the anointing. You can just spit and God will use it. Amen? You can spit and God will use it. I remember my father going to visit a family and, and the sign in front of the door, it said, Beware the dog. Don't come in. Beware the dog. My father opened the gate. I said, Dad, there's a dog down there. And that dog began coming after my father at a fast speed. My father raised his hand. And when the dog came close, he stopped and he <coughs> spit on the dog's face. And the dog turned around and went up. And went up. <laughs> you see, sometimes... Well, Jesus used a spit, didn't it, and put mud in, 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 the, in men's eyes in Bethsaida. And so it is important that the church hold fast to the form of sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13. You've got to choose your words carefully. You've got to say what you need to say. You don't run back because it might influence the offering. You don't run back or put back because people don't like it or are not appreciate it. When the Holy Spirit moves, you've got to go with it. That makes you a Timothy. The second mark of this that, that de decides the intent of Paul's, uh, Paul, Paul's letter to Timothy and the content of it is that teachers have an attitude of being humble before God. A false teacher is always proud. You know... Uh, I'll tell you a little funny story. Of course, I've said this story so many times, but we're in Brazil. And uh, there was a guy from a seminary somewhere up in New York City. And he came to Brazil with us, and he began to teach. And he said, the colors of the sky and the bluishness of it is so sweet to the heart. The red symbolizes uh, our hurry and our desperation. And I said, oh, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. And I'm translating, and the, and, and the black symbolizes our deceptions, our moments of weakness. And then he kept on talking about the red, the black, the blue, and the yellow. And, and, and so I simply said, well, the yellow is a yellow belly like you who don't make a decision about Jesus. The black is, if you don't decide, you're going to hell and you never have a chance again. And the blue is, is the blessings of God because you repented of your sins. And I just kept on using the colors behind him. 
And he made, he made all of you who feel blue come forward. And then I tell you, everybody came forward that day. And he was so proud of his sermon. I didn't, nobody told him a word that I, that I translated totally contrary to what he was saying. You see, sometimes pastors and teachers like to do the teaching. When somebody is crying back in there, they're in desperate need of somebody to help. So when we go to Brazil, we invite the people of God to come forward even before the service begins. When we come in and sit down and the church is ready, the pastor asks me, uh, the pastor comes to me and says, Brother Rick, before I say anything, would you come forward? And I make an invitation. Why do I make an invitation for salvation even before the service starts? It's because that's what those people are there for. They come to get help. They're desperate. They're hurting. I look and there's a woman crying in the back. And when I made the invitation, she ran to the... And of course, the group is there to receive them. So, the teacher must understand that the Word of God is holy. And you can't be proud of how much you know, how much you understand, how much you comprehend. You've got to be humble before the Lord. You don't come in the presence. Pride exposes the teacher. We need to be humble because His grace is the only reason we ourselves are not burned to crisp for our sins. When I come into the time of teaching in the presence of the Lord, I thank God that He'd let me live for I have sinned against Him. And I ask Him to forgive me. You see, when you are a teacher and you repent of your sins in front of your congregation, in front of your Sunday school, they can believe in you. A believer who understands the Word of God will have a burning heart and not a big head. A teacher who understands the Word of God will have a burning heart and not a big head. Read First Timothy 6, 4. It says this, He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about the, the questions in strifes of words, where cometh envy and strife. Doting is D-O-T-I-N-G. Doting. It's filled with a morbid desire. That's a stink feeling of death. When I hear, I want to tell you something. I went up to Nashville, Tennessee at the upper room. And I was a young seminarian, you know, just blessed of the Lord. And the speaker began to talk about the art of worship. And he said that uh, you need to experience all the gods in order to descend from their God in our God. It's impossible to know our God until you understand their God. And I have a communion with, uh, and he said, I have a communion with uh, all kinds of gods. And I said, that's the reason why you have a weak heart and a, an unrepented spirit. And I paid money to come to this conference, and I'm going home disappointed, sir. You don't have to communicate with evil in order to know the heart and the love of Jesus Christ. Just repent of your sins. And of course, you know, they asked me to leave. And of course, I was very embarrassed for many years for that. But I got all kinds of calls after that from people all over the country saying, Rick, thank you for saying that. I was disappointed too. I don't have to know 
I don't have to know the, the, God, the deity Nike in order to understand my God. The Holy Spirit of God will tell me about Jesus, and that beats the hell out of Nike. Amen? I, by the way, I met the man who owns Nike. And when he came to television, I saw his face. It's got to be the ugliest, the oldest. I mean, he's a, he looks like 150 years old, and there's not a single piece of flesh in his face that is alive. He depended on a God Nike. I depend on a God Jesus, the Lord of life in my life. Amen? Well, it's about time. False teachers, according to Paul, carry within them a desire for financial gain. Amen? 1 Timothy 6, 5, men of corrupted minds, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourselves. Okay? What these men did in Ephesus was not ministry, was religious business. Refuse money from the Corinthian church, Paul did. So he wouldn't be accused of greed. 1 Corinthians 9, 15. Listen, God bless you today. And as you go home today, know that you that serve the Lord with your money, you're blessed of Him because you don't love money. You love Jesus and Him resurrected and Him at the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.